turn to chapter 10 of the book of Acts. Chapter 10. We are going to cover this whole thing. And I mean, every Sunday's different. Jeff and I talk about this all the time. It's not like there's this cute little template or something. It's like, you know, sermon in a box. And uh, you just kind of follow the instructions and it's right there. So we're going to cover a lot of material this morning. It's in the book of Acts, so it's a narrative. It's a story. And there are places where we really have to explain and interpret a lot of the story for any number of reasons. I feel like hopefully I'm going to give you what you need to understand some of those kinds of things about the story, but in many ways the story speaks for itself, especially in light of all that we've been talking about for the last several months. So I'm going to read a lot of scripture from Acts 10. We'll, we'll actually read the, just about the entire passage, um, but I want to encourage you to go back as well in some of your own time and interact with this wonderful, wonderful story. I want to start with a question that you might have had yourself or someone may have asked you. And I will just say right up front, this is probably one of the emotionally most difficult questions we will ever wrestle with. And here it is. What about the person who's never heard the good news about Jesus? What happens to them if they die without ever, ever having heard of Jesus? Would you feel prepared to answer that question? Because oftentimes, unbelievers will sort of put that out as a reason like, well, for instance, if, if God would send a person who's never heard about Jesus to hell, what kind of God is that? Feel that? Acts 10 is one of the key passages in all of our New Testament that addresses that question. And I'll just kind of give you the punchline at the beginning. I don't know exactly what God does with anybody. I just know that Jesus Christ himself said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. So I just know that for every single one of us, there is this very personal, intimate interaction that either brings me to a place where I receive the gift of Christ or I reject it. That's all I know from what we're told in the Bible. And there's a lot of story in there. There's a lot of people zigging and zagging all over the place. How does a person come to faith? That's between them and the Lord. We just know that they have to trust in him to be forgiven. At its core, that question is really about the justness or the fairness of God, isn't it? That's really what we're wrestling with. Does God treat everyone fairly. And what this passage does is it kind of takes us behind the scenes to see what God is doing in the lives of two people, none of which we would know unless we were told, like we're told here. Now, contextually, in the book of Acts, chapter 10 is a very significant turning point. Jeff mentioned this last week. We've been basically seeing the church founded upon Jews reaching Jews, right? It was the 12 apostles, and we saw Pentecost, and uh, just ended up with Saul, a Jew, coming to Christ. 
Saul is now out of the picture for a while. He's off in Tarsus. And uh, we're going to see Peter re-enter the scene in a significant way. And more importantly, we're going to see the gospel go to non-Jews, or what the Bible calls Gentiles. And that probably represents most of us in this room, unless you're of Jewish descent. So the basic story in Acts 10 revolves around two men, the apostle Peter and a Roman soldier named Cornelius, okay? Cornelius is spiritually lost, but seeking God. It's very obvious in the text. God wants to use Peter to reach Cornelius, but also God wants to do some work, some much-needed work in Peter's life while reaching Cornelius, So we get to see the development of both of those. As far as Peter is concerned, there's an important principle here, and it's this. None of us grow out of our need to grow up in our faith. None of us grow out of our need to grow up in our faith. So God's going to do some work here. I'm going to use light and darkness to help us think about this passage. That's a very common biblical theme from cover to cover. So we're going to use this uh, to to interpret. And let me give you just a quick background as we think about light and darkness. The Apostle John in 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Very important distinction. Now, if we back up into Genesis, we know that God said, right, first day, beginning of creation, let there be light, right? And there was light. But then we're told why he did that. He he saw that it was good. He separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness night. There was evening, there was morning the first day. Later in that chapter, God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. At that point, it's symbolic. We're supposed to learn from seeing these two things called light and darkness. It's important that we think about darkness as not a thing, but the absence of a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. But notice that light can dispel the darkness, right? Whenever it comes into play. John 1, so let's fast forward now into the New Testament. We're told at the very beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, all speaking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, those things we were just talking about in Genesis 1. And without him, not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Then in John 3, the light has come into the world, speaking of Jesus, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's a statement about the human condition. We naturally love darkness, not light, until we see the light. And then there's a chance that we might see it and love it because we have seen it. Matthew 4.16 says, the people were dwelling in darkness and they have seen a great light and for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. That is what's happening right here with Cornelius. This passage illustrates a principle, this will be true of Cornelius, that God gives more light to those who respond positively to the light they're given. God gives more light to those who respond positively to the light they are given. Do you see how that's beginning to answer that question? What about the person who's never heard? Well, it's not as if they haven't heard anything. They've heard something, and what they've done with that something has something to do with what they get next. That's the way God operates. I think this passage will illustrate that. I want to acknowledge that there is a tension between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And I know that there's probably plenty of people in here that land really hard on one side or the other. I want to urge you to read your Bible cover to cover and recognize that both are there. God chooses and people choose. And I don't know how those work together. I just know they're both in there. So we, we come very humbly to this and uh, do our best to understand uh, what we need to do in response to what God has done in terms of light. And as we just read from John 1, the light shines in the darkness. Let's see that in Cornelius' life, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now, Caesarea, you'll see on this map, is located north of Joppa. So basically, that just shows you where Peter has gone since the end of chapter 9. So, Peter is now in Joppa, Cornelius is in Caesarea. It is a Roman, a provincial Roman capital. He leads a group of 100 Roman soldiers, so he is an elite soldier within the Roman army. He's described here as religious. Now, keep in mind, that doesn't mean he's saved. It just means he's religious. So he is devout, he fears God, he gives generously, and he has prayed continually to God. So apparently he has responded positively to the general revelation of creation. That's one source of light that God has given us 
in what he has made, and he has also responded positively to the special revelation of the Old Testament. We don't have a New Testament yet. So whatever he saw in his exposure to the Old Testament and to Judaism or Jewish religion, he's responded positively to that. But he doesn't know anything about Jesus. He doesn't know anything about what happened on the cross or like all of that is at this point darkness. So he's not saved, but he is seeking. We know that for sure in Acts eleven fourteen it says Cornelius was to receive a message by which he and his household would be saved. So we're just told explicitly. Somehow there's, a, there's room for someone to be religious and not yet saved. Okay? Here's where God gives Cornelius more light. Look at verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day... He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. This story will be repeated in verse 22 and in verses 30 through 32, so we're going to hear that story again. But just notice, you have a devout man who sees a vision of an angel And he's not told about Jesus. He's not given the plan of salvation. The angel just says, you need to talk to Peter. And he just says, okay, and does it. Immediate obedience. He just does what he's told. But God is going to give him light as a result of calling for Peter. It's beautiful. As an aside, uh, my wife Kimberly has a great illustration of this God gives more light to those who respond positively. She went on a mission trip to Russia. And when she was over there, she did a number of things, but she spoke at some kind of gathering. And after the message, this young lady came up. I think she was, we say, 19-ish. And uh, she told Kimberly a story. She said she grew up in a home that had nothing to do with God whatsoever. But she just kind of had this sense that there must be more, maybe as she's kind of looking around at everything that existed. And she's thinking, there might be something out there. I I wonder if it, it or he or whatever's listening. She literally went out in her backyard. She looked up to heaven, and she said, if you're out there, if there's somebody out there, I want to know you. She comes to the group meeting that Kimberly's leading, and she hears the gospel. And there's her answer. He heard. He answered. He gave her light, and she found Christ. That's in Russia. Kimberly's right here. The Lord took this gal in the U.S. all the way over to Russia to give that girl light. 
I can trust God with stuff like that, right? So encouraging. Well, God isn't just giving light to Cornelius. As I mentioned, he is going to give some light to our friend Peter. Look in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance or a vision and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. Think about that for just a minute. (laughs) For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. Seems to take Peter three times, most of the time. (laughs) And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Here's what's going on. Peter is trying to reconcile. Um, He's been following the, the Old Testament laws as he should. But that's Old Covenant. Jeff talked about that this morning. But there's a new covenant, and God is changing things in a significant way. And so when, I just tell you a little hint, when God comes to you and speaks audibly and says, hey, I want you to do something that I know you've never done before, but this is in my plan, this is where we're going, just say yes. (laughs) Say, okay, I'll do it. But he's wrestling with these laws And he is wrestling with the separation that there had been between Jew and Gentile. And the food laws and the hospitality laws, all table fellowship, that kind of stuff, Jews were restricted from engaging with Gentiles. It wasn't because they were better. They were just chosen. And I want, I want us to think about this. God didn't choose the Jews instead of the Gentiles. He chose the Jews to reach the Gentiles. They're not better. That was just God's method. So what happened was all of the rules and regulations and the amazing experience that the Jewish people had with God that actually fueled pride and prejudice in them. And it should have created empathy and compassion and love for the world. God told Abraham, through you, I'm going to reach all the families of the earth. They forgot about that. They were just real happy with him reaching them. Can you relate to that? I think we have the same temptation. We're real happy that the Lord found us that he reached us, that we got to see light. But God reaches us so that we can reach somebody else. In the midst of all this, 
using John's language again, the darkness has not overcome. While Peter was inwardly perplexed about what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter, he didn't have to be told three times, went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is your reason for coming? And there they rehearse the story I read a moment ago about the vision that Cornelius had. So he invited them in. He's starting to make a move here. He invited these Gentiles in to be his guests. He's starting to get it. In this scenario, God is giving Cornelius and Peter the light that they need for different reasons. Cornelius needs light to be saved. Peter needs light to be sanctified. He needs to grow in his faith. The next day, Peter rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Interesting. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. There really is no room for worship of angels or people, ever, right? We're just people. We're all just people. We might have different roles and responsibilities. We're just all people. We all need Jesus equally. As he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. So he's acknowledging there's been this distinction, this separation. But God has shown me, he's given me light that I should not call any person, I don't remember God saying that, do you? He said, don't don't call anything common that I have made clean. But he said, I've realized I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for for me. Once again, Cornelius goes through his explanation, and then he ends with this. So I sent for you at once after I had that vision, And you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. It's interesting. He just assumes you got light that I need. So lay it on us. We're ready. I just wonder if there was this moment for Peter where he's like, I don't know if I got that message yet, you know? A good preacher might wonder that. Um, He's got a message, and here it comes. Verse uh, 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. I heard a, 
a guy say, God has no favorites. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. More on that in a minute. As the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, not just the Jews. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They, that is the Jews, put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to those, to us, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, that is Jesus, he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There's the gospel. The light that someone would need to have in order to be saved, to trust in Christ. And notice he starts all the way back with John, the Baptist, he gives them this whole history. And imagine you're Cornelius. And you've, you've, maybe you've read the Old Testament. You've certainly heard a whole lot of it. And you've been really trying to follow the law, to practice that day in and day out. But it's, it's just not clicking. You just keep praying. You keep seeking. You keep wondering. And then that angel shows up. And says, I want you to call for Peter, and Peter's going to tell you what all of this is about. And imagine hearing this right here. All of a sudden, it all makes sense. You finally see as if it is the light of day. What do you think he did? Yes, Lord, <laughs> I believe. I receive. We'll get to that here in just a second. I want to make a few observations just about that little section there. If you're wondering what the gospel is, memorize that passage. Everything is there that you would need to share with somebody so that they can connect the dots with Jesus and salvation. As far as Cornelius is concerned, fearing God and doing what, what is right doesn't save. It says that it makes us acceptable, and, and just to be clear, that doesn't mean saved. It really just means that you are in a posture with God to receive more light. And we know that because at the end of the passage, Peter very distinctly says everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. So there must be a difference between those two phrases. So Cornelius's response with the fear of the Lord and doing what is right just made way for him to receive more light 
from God. I want to highlight the phrase, if Jesus Christ there is Lord of all, then that would mean the gospel can go to all. And prior to this moment, remember this is a turning point in the book of Acts, the gospel is now going to go literally to the ends of the earth, to every people group. John, uh, Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So it's the reverse of the curse from Genesis 3. Everyone who believes in Jesus, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their background, regardless of their family of origin, if they have believed, they will receive forgiveness. They do believe, and it ushers in what most people will call the Gentile Pentecost. So remember in chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes, and it's very obvious to everybody that something has changed, that's ushering in this new entity called the church. And at that point, Gentiles were still considered outside the church. So here is where they are ushered in. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, so he's in the middle of his message. I'm sure he felt a little bit hurt that they were interrupting his sermon. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Man, what a moment. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out, I love this phrase, even on the Gentiles, those poor, sorry Gentiles. (laughs) For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, here he goes, what a great finish. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? See what God did there? They're all in. No distinctions, no separation. They are children of light, all of them, simply because they have believed. They've trusted in Christ. And Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. So this beautiful moment where all that took place right after the resurrection and ascension of Christ among the Jews has now spread. And the rest of the book of Acts is going to be that continued expansion And in some ways, the the Jews are going to get less attention because they just continue to dig their heels in. But there are Gentiles all over the place. That's Paul is called the apostle to the Gentiles. He's going to go and reach them and plant churches. And the kingdom will expand. So what about the person who has never heard? God has given humanity the light that it needs to draw people to himself. He begins with creation. And those who respond positively to that, I think we can trust God to give all of the light that is needed so that they can come to faith. Some, this is hard, guys, some will reject it. Some really love the darkness and they want to stay there. 
And I'm not sure that it's really our place to to try and figure out, is that right or wrong, fair, unjust, whatever? That's God's business. And all I know is, I didn't deserve salvation, and neither did you. And yet I got it. And I'm grateful for it. And I just want to live in gratitude and tell everybody that I can about it. I I think that's what we're supposed to do. And then let God be God. He's got it. Promise you. Let me ask you a few questions for the so what to consider. And I'm just acknowledging that that we could be at any place today. Like you may have come in like Cornelius today. Right? You may just be going, I've been trying to do this religious thing, but I'm still searching. Okay. Well, you got the light today. Trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will be made right with God for all of eternity. You will be called a child of God. You will be completely forgiven. All your sin, past, present, future. Eternally secure in Him. You may need, like Peter, to, well, not may, we all need to keep growing, right? So you may have gotten some light today that will help you take a next right step in your walk of faith with him. Here's the questions. Where do you have light currently? And are you taking advantage of the light that you have? We just, we say this, I don't know how often, Jeff, again and again and again, This is as bright a light as you will ever have. Are you taking advantage of the fact that God has revealed himself? He has spoken perfectly to us. Are you taking advantage of that light? And then the second question is, where do you need light? It says Cornelius prayed again and again and again to to God. So I don't know what he asked for. I don't know what he talked to him about. I imagine somewhere in there he's like, I need more. Where do you need more? And then lastly, again, in light of our going outward with the mission, where can you give light? Where has the Lord placed you or called you to go and give light? Take a moment, consider those three questions, and then I'll pray for us. Father in heaven, so grateful that you have made yourself known. Thank you for the light of creation. Thank you for the light of Christ. And thank you for those who 
shared the light with us. Lord, help us to, as your word says, walk in the light as you are in the light. Dispel the darkness. We thank you for doing that so generously. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.